Give Amy a round of applause. She was phenomenal. <laughs> and what an amazing testimony. And it is really exciting to share these stories in here. And then they build our faith, they encourage us. But uh, it is just wonderful to hear. Um, as for the GLS, get this in a couple of weeks' time, it takes place in Chicago. And I'm actually going to the GLS in person. Chris and Fliss usually go, and uh, I get to go this year. So I'm really excited. I mean, just to be around Willow Creek Church, uh, to be surrounded by leaders from all over the world, to have a week of undisturbed sleep. This is going to be amazing and life-changing. I cannot wait. It is absolutely super exciting. But one of the things that I absolutely um, struggle with, just even after a couple of days in, is how much I start to miss my family. I mean, it is tremendous how it gets you. It really starts to grab my heart. And I eagerly, legally look forward to returning to them. I cannot wait to be back. And as I start that journey home, a couple of days before, as I start planning and getting to the airport and all these other details, I mean, I start to get excited. I mean, I start to almost you know, get fidgety, restless, almost anxious about getting to see them face to face and embrace them again. And every time I arrive at the airport, it's a tremendous experience. I mean, great big grins. There they are, smiling at me as I come through the gate. And, uh, you know, there's cheers of, Daddy, you're home. And I, I just love it. They run over to me. I embrace her. I've got children hanging off of every limb. It's one of the most amazing moments of my life. I really do love that moment. And what makes it amazing is not just that I'm excited, that I'm looking forward to them, to seeing them, but that they are looking forward to seeing me. Their excitement, they miss me. They dress up, they make themselves look beautifully. They, they look eager to see me, and they indeed are eager, and they're happy when I come home. But imagine, imagine if they weren't. Imagine if I arrived at the airport, and they just say, oh, hey, Dad, Mom's just getting a Starbucks. She'll be back in a minute. <laughs> or, oh, hey, Dad, well, can, we, can we go home and watch TV now? And there's something really, imagine all my excitement, all my enthusiasm, all my eagerness, and they weren't looking forward to seeing me at all. Can you imagine how that would make me feel? With that in mind, I've got to ask the question, what kind of welcome do you think Jesus would have when he, came, when he comes back? What kind of welcome would he expect and would we give him? Would he have his cheers of his children lining up as we were ready and ready for him to embrace us? Or would we reply with something like, Jesus, it's really good to see you, but could you come back after my holiday next week? Or I just need to find out what happens at the end of Game of Thrones first. I fear that we're in danger of being over-familiar with God, that in my, our mind it's no big deal that he's returning. But if I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over all creation, I should be living each and every single day with a great anticipation and longing for that day he will finally reveal himself, his glory. And that's what we've been speaking about for these last few weeks. For a long time, God was seen as distant but, and remote. But since the 80s, through his invitation, not our doing, through his invitation, the church has been emphasizing on the, our intimacy with God. But this series has been, insure, has been about ensuring that we haven't forgotten and don't lose sight of who it is we're actually talking about, the glory of God Almighty, something currently unseen, something hard to grasp, and trust me, I've spent a couple of weeks and I still don't fully get it, and something absolutely real. 
J.I. Packer defines God's glory as his excellence and praiseworthiness set forth in display. You know, God may be hidden now, but it doesn't make him any less magnificent. And one day he will reveal himself. He will show us his glory. I mean, consider the original iPhone. It was impressive in its design and innovation way before anyone saw it. But when Steve Jobs unveiled it to the world, it was a moment of technological glory. Consider the baby that grows unseen in a mother's womb. And then one day, this glorious wonder appears before you and makes even the strongest man cry. Likewise, the glory of God is God's going public. He's unveiling the revelation of his infinite self. You know, we as a church long for revival, those dazzling but mere glimpses of God's glory. But there will come a time maybe soon, when God will reveal his glory in the most magnificent way when Jesus Christ returns. And with this final talk in the series, what I want to do is, is, is give us a preview, give us a trailer of what that will look like in the hope that it will build up our anticipation, build up our longing, build up our eagerness to see him return. And then in doing so, show what our response will be. And Chris took us into the uh, chapters three and four, I think it was, of Revelation last week, four and five. But I'm going to take us even deeper. And trust me, I've been going crazy looking at Revelation for the last week or two. But all the way to chapter 19. So if you do have your Bibles, if you have your smartphones, uh, you can check out the, uh, the previous talks. I really, really encourage, if you've missed any, to, to use your app and to go back and listen to those previous ones. But chapter nine of 19 of Revelation is where I'm going. And as I said, this is where Christ opens our eyes to who he is. He does so in three steps. He will reveal his glory in his salvation. Then he will reveal his glory in his bride. And then finally, in his name. His salvation, his bride, and in his name. Let's jump in. Verse 1, after this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. You know, Revelation is a book where the unseen spiritual war rages. What we have is God on one hand and Satan and all his allies on the other. You know, one thing that's caused me and probably you to open book of Revelation, get read and go, uh, no, and close it again, is these characters, the beast, the false prophet, and the, uh, the prostitute, I mean, really, what is going on there? This is crazy. But simply put, and this is a great takeaway, the beast represents all the violence in the world. The false prophet represents all the lies and deception that we come to believe. And that destroy us and set us against each other. And the prostitute personifies temptation, greed, and the lust, that which steals our intimacy with our father, but never satisfy. That's why sin is always referred to as adultery. These are bundled up in that great title, the great prostitute of Babylon, which, rep which basically represents all that's wrong with human nature and human society. Injustice, oppression, corruption. I mean, any news story you come across that frustrates you, any prejudice that you've seen, any time that you were treated unfairly, 
I mean, you really only just have to open the news app. You come across, you know, things happening in London. You know, things happening all over the world. Australia, they forward a terrorist plot. Why are people trying to do this? Or if you've come across the whole story about what's going on in Venezuela, where there's shortages of money, food, medicine, everyone is suffering. People are rummaging through bins at the moment. 83% of people in hospitals, including children, are malnourished and and being bandaged with dirty bandages. There's an absolute disgust of what's going on in this nation. And the government are using armed forces to try and hush everything down. And then while they're seeking to change the system for their power and their gain. It's absolute corruption. And it's disgusting. And it's not okay. But God is a God of justice and he sees every single bit of it. And revelation is when God says, right, that's it. Enough is enough. My patience has run out. The enemy has ruined my creation and hurt my people for too long. And then in chapters 17 and 18, symbolic Babylon and all it represents suffer decimation at the hand of God. And when this happens, those who have built their lives around other things other than God will mourn the loss of the systems they would learned to use for their own gain. The hope in wealth, the deception of power, all will be gone the things they held onto, the things that they gripped onto, will fall away like dust. But God's people will see something different. All violence will suddenly cease. It's like a year six bully who's been terrorized in primary school for all these years, suddenly turns up at secondary school expecting the same thing, only to encounter this sick form bodybuilder. He starts to realize how inadequate he is. All lies will come into the light and deception will be unveiled like the wizard from the Wizard of Oz. It all gets destroyed. All those things you believed about yourself and believed about the world, all the things that stroke, uh, put fear into your heart will be revealed for the little mouse that it is. And then the temptation, the lust that caught us, the love of money, the love of this, that, or the other, will suddenly look like weak old porridge compared to a seven-course meal at Auberge de Lac. It will just look unsatisfying, unappealing. At that point when God comes back, there'll be no more violence. There'll be no more deception. There'll be no more greed. And God's people will cheer because at last, at last creation has been liberated. At last our hope has been fulfilled. And all of heaven will shout and cheer with such a noise that it will sound like the roar of a great multitude. That day is June. A Jew, not June. <laughs> I don't know when it is, sorry. <laughs> that day is due. It will come soon. Vengeance will be mine, says the Lord. I will vindicate you. Creation will be rescued. My glory will be revealed in my salvation. And when that happens, I'm not sure a little English, yay, will suffice. I think we'll cheer. We'll celebrate. We'll jump up and down. It will be a great day of liberation. Let me give you an example. Verse 4. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. You see, seeing God's salvation, the 24 elders and four living creatures, which Chris talked about last week, fell down and worshipped God. They fell face down, 
crying aloud, hallelujah, praise the Lord, looking at the way that they worship God. They were shouting and falling on their faces. They were so excited about worshiping God. We see the 24 hours crying aloud, but then a voice comes and says, all of you, every one of you, that invitation is to ask the church to join in with heaven's worship. In the Old Testament, uh, they had loud clanging cymbals. People were running through the streets dancing like they'd been won the World Cup. We've never seen that, but you can, <laughs> you can get that idea. But just before, before Jesus came, before they'd even seen the glory in its fullness, they worshipped with great expectation, great anticipation, anticipation of God's glory finally being revealed. And the invitation is for us to join in that. I loved worship this morning. That was great worship, but I loved hearing the church sing. But I do wonder if we're still a little reserved. We're still a little quiet. I, I mean, I, I hold back my singing because, frankly, it's terrible, and I think I put Chris off. Sometimes you watch him disappear over there. It's probably because of me. But sometimes I need to close my eyes and just be released and liberated and say, do you know what? Nothing else matters than the return of our God. I want to be excited. I want to be anticipating that like my family at the airport. And the invitation is that we all will be all like that. And then after revealing his glory and his salvation, he then reveals his glory in his bride. And I love this bit. Verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder. You get it again. Shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me this, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these words are the true words of God. Now, to understand what's going on here, we, we actually need to understand the Jewish wedding ceremony or customs. You see, when a couple got engaged in Jewish times or in Jewish communities, um, when they got engaged, it was from that moment that they were legally married. Unlike us, you know, we, when we get engaged, we can change our minds. We can call it off if it goes a bit crazy. But, um, but for them, to call it off meant that they had to get legal divorce from that moment. And at that moment of the engagement, the groom would go away and prepare a home for them to live in. And while the bride would stay at home and work on herself, making herself look as beautiful, as delightful as possible. And there would be a separation period where he's preparing the home and she is preparing herself. And then one day, the groom would return and take her. And there would be a little meal at the parents' house, and then there would be a great parade from that house to the house that he had prepared. All along the way, the neighbors, the family, the friends would be celebrating, dancing, throwing confetti, throwing falafel, throwing things in the air. A great excitement. You get the idea. And then once they arrive at the new home, they would have this grand wedding feast, and the party would continue for days in their home. You know, at some point, many of you, not everyone here, but many of us made the decision to be with Christ, and you entered into that union, that engagement, that promise. But then Jesus left. Where did he go? 
In John 14, it says this, I am going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you with me, and there you may also be where I am. Do you see that? Our groom has left to prepare our place. One day he will come back for us and take us to the marital home, a place of peace, security, a place of plenty, a place full of love and full of intimacy. We will finally be united with our groom. In the meantime, we stay and we adorn ourselves preparing for that day of return. How do we get ourselves ready? And now many of you are looking at me and going, Pastor, you're wearing shorts and shoes. This is not preparing yourself for that great day. No shoes. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> Obvious thing. I forgot them again. Tara, why didn't you remind me? <laughs> it's not about our physical look. It's not about how we look and how we come across. It says in the scripture, verse 7, or verse 8, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. By doing the things that are right in God's eyes, by doing what his word says, love God, love each other, remember the poor, to act justly, love mercy, to walk humbly before your God. The interesting thing about this that grasps me is that this isn't just about us coming on a Sunday and how we worship and how we sing and how we you know, look on a Sunday morning. This isn't even about just our individual lives when we go and do stuff throughout the week and how we are. And are we the same person that you see on a Sunday as we are at home with our family and at work and all those different places? But actually, the bride is all of us put together. It's about us doing life together. It's about us watching out and seeing the best bring out, brought out of each other. It's about us helping each other reach our potential. And doing and reaching those acts of righteousness together. We cannot do this alone. The bride does this together. And the more we do, the more beautiful we are. We don't have to. The relationship is guaranteed. But in every act, we are making ourselves more beautiful for him. And why wouldn't we? Our beloved is coming. A great celebration will ensue. Will we be ready? Or will we be caught lounging around in our PJs? Stained with food, bed hair, bad breath when he comes knocking at our door. That would be awkward, wouldn't it? We are the glory of God revealed in his bride. Let us reflect the one who has chosen us in our righteous acts, our holy living, our purity. We, the church, are the bride. Now, maybe... Some of you guys are sitting there going, I, I really struggle with this analogy. I'm used to being, the, I'm going to be the groom one day. Or I'm going to be the groom. Well, frankly, the women have had to deal with being sons of God for a long time, so I think we can work through it. <laughs> we have to. The bride didn't know when the groom would be back. But when he comes back, we're to be like the bride, awaiting her groom. We're supposed to be excited. So loud, it sounds like peals of thunder. It's like we've been FaceTiming Jesus all this time. And we just cannot wait to embrace him. Like my family at the airport, are we excited? Are we eager for his return? Are we long and full of expectation and longing to see our groom? You know, at the end of this talk, I want to invite us. You know, as I said, we worship beautifully at the beginning. I would love for us in the last song to go louder, to be that roar of a multitude, to sing, to use our bodies, to dance if you're inclined to dance. I will shout, I will scream, and I'll invite us as a church to join in because he's worth it. He is so worth it. He deserves it. 
And he deserves our love and adoration, regardless of how other people think. And like any bride, we should be scared to death of his return. And why? But why wouldn't we miss it? We wouldn't miss it for the world. I can imagine how Rachel, Dennis's daughter, felt yesterday, full of nerves and anticipation, but could not wait for that moment. And that leads us to the final way that God reveals his glory in his magnificent return, in his name. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are, so, are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I mean, just imagine if heaven opened up right now and we see this coming down, Jesus coming down on a white horse, eyes like fire, Tongues, tongue like a sword, and all these crowns on his head, written King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and behind him an entire army of white horses. What would your response be? Would it be casual? Oh, that's weird. There's some horses coming out the sky. No way could you be quiet. No way could we be subdued. I get it, though. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to visualize. But it's like this. Imagine if you're just kind of going for a walk casually, you know, you're on a path. It's a very foggy outside, but you're just walking this path very casually, very lightly. You know, just going for a stroll. And then suddenly the fog blows away, and you suddenly realize just a few feet away is this 500-foot drop of a cliff. You suddenly realize how close you were to falling off. Your casual light easy walk suddenly transforms as you're gripped by fear and gripped by the magnitude of how close you are walking to the edge. You suddenly don't walk casually or lightly anymore. You hug the other side. You, you try and stabilize yourself. It's overwhelming. And that's how it will be when Jesus finally reveals himself. This is the glory of God being revealed in Jesus. His going public with his magnificent presence and many attributes, of which John describes some of them. Let me look at a few of them. A white horse. You see, when a Roman victory took place, the commander of the army would lead a procession riding on a white horse to signify their triumph. The white horse that Christ rides on means that he rides triumphantly. He rode through death and hell and was never even thrown off the saddle. Colossians say he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing um, over them on the cross. And that's why he says in Revelation 1, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and Hades. And the armies of heaven, that's us. We ride victorious with God. We're victorious with Jesus triumphantly. And the next bit, whose rider is called Faithful and True. I was chatting to a couple the other day about their, their wedding coming up in September that I'm doing. 
And I asked them how they met each other, and the girl turned around and she said, well, it's a bit embarrassing, but we, we met a, a law faculty uh, party at, at university, and uh, you know a whole bunch of us were out, and we were having a few drinks together, and we all decided to go back to the girl's house, a few guys and a few girls, and to watch a movie. And uh, we were sitting there, and it was obvious that we were getting on. There was obviously a connection. And uh, you know, slightly inspired by a couple of drinks, she stood up, and she looked at him, and she said, you're not staying over, you know. <laughs> and he goes, oh, that's okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. And then she stood up very impassioned and said, Jesus is my boyfriend, you know. <laughs> oh. They can get engaged, can you believe it? <laughs> but Jesus isn't our boyfriend. You see, if Jesus was our boyfriend, then he'd realize how crazy we are and he'd look at other options. <laughs> he'd keep his options open and, you know, when things got a bit too much, he'd probably choose otherwise. I mean, I would. Jesus isn't our boyfriend, he's our groom. He's faithful and true. He's faithful and true. He suffered rejection, whips, humiliation, and even death on the cross without any hesitation, just for you. How much more faithful, how much more trustworthy could you ask for in a Lord? He is faithful and true and will be to our dying day or to who returns. His eyes are like blazing fire. It says in Revelation 6, the, king of, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Before Christ had even laid a finger on them, they fled like mice. What caused them to flee for the mountains? What did they see in his fiery, furious eyes? When there is such a fire and anger in his face, it makes the enemies of the earth melt like wax. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The world will fall silent before him. He will shout to all the nations, like he did when, with Jesus when he shouted to the waves, Be still and know that I am God. Make no mistake. His eyes are like blazing fire. Many crowns, all the kingdoms and the earth are his. All the crowns of the world, every country, every province, every nation is under his authority, his reign, his rule. And he will come back for them, every single one of them. Could the band come back? Oh, please. Robe dipped in blood. It goes on to say, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. In the wine press, someone would trample all the grapes, squeezing out the juice. And when trampling, red juice splatters on garments. And this is symbolizes the blood splattering. But God's victory is not won with the blood of enemies, but with the blood of Christ. He is the lamb sacrificed for our sins. He was ransomed for our redemption. The one who paid the price on the cross and defeated, destroyed, and decimated the hand of the enemy. And all their power, they stand not a single chance before him. Everything that stands against God will tumble, will fade, will disappear. And finally, no, the name no one knows but himself. All this is part of his name that no one knows but himself. His name in itself, his nature. It also says his name is the word of God, which John 1 tells us the word was with God and the word was God. 
He is the ultimate revelation of God's character. And he is an infinite God. So who can know an infinite God but himself? His glory is combined, indestructible, indescribable, incomparable, immeasurable wonder. The infinite radiance of all of his qualities. His holiness, his love, his mercy, his justice, his wisdom, his power goes on forever. And all this will be revealed. He will show his glory in his salvation. He will show his glory in us, his bride. And he will show his glory in his name in that final revelation. He has been exalted to the highest place and be given the name that is above all names, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So let the Spirit come and blow away that fog from our eyes. Let him reveal to us who he really is, that we may live our lives with eager anticipation, a longing, an expectation of his return. Let us stand waiting at the gates triumphantly, with a great joy and praise. Let our voices be heard, not just in this room. Let our kids hear. Let them ask about what our voices said. Let our neighbors, let our heaven, let the heavens hear our voices sing. Would you stand up and worship with me? He is worthy of our praise and adoration. Let's sing aloud. Let's sing to our God. Let's sing his praise. Thank you.